Welcome to the CAMCast. The CAM Project is the take action nonprofit organization to inspire, influence, and impact kids and teens worldwide. Your CAMCast host interviews older teens, parents, mentors, and specialists, providing tips, advice, education, inspiration, and a supportive community to kid and teen entrepreneurs. Introducing owner of Actionista Live and co founder of the CAM Project, your host, Samara Beth Hurley. Welcome to another episode of CamCast. I'm so excited that we're able to bring you another special guest who has yet another special guest, I should say, who has impressed me on Clubhouse. I'm telling you, if you have an Apple device, you got to get on Clubhouse and pretty soon they will open it up to the world. It's quite amazing how much impact individuals have made for me and others that we've met in the room. I am here with Lee She's so beautiful, even though I've never seen her face because she does not show it. (laughs) I know she's beautiful because I hear it in her voice and she's internally amazing. She's such an inspiration to me uh, from when I first met her. It was so memorable hearing her story and what she has done and made for herself moving forward with her independence. So I am going to introduce to you an award-winning entrepreneur She grew up in New York City in the foster care system. Tough city. I used to live in New York City, as many of you know, as an event planner, and I was right out of college, didn't make a lot of money, and it is not an easy city to live in. So imagine being a kid in the foster care system, and we're going to hear a little bit more about her story from her. Leisha Ney started her first business in 2007 and successfully sold it. She is an entrepreneur on her own. She won her first business award in 2010, and she currently owns and operates two businesses. One is a luxury skincare line, which I'm excited to share with everyone because they also have a kid's line. And the other is a business and wellness firm. Uh, Lishane has also helped other small business owners make sure that their businesses are set up correctly and help them scale when they're ready since she has that experience. So I thought Lishane was a perfect guest for CamCast because as you all know, We're helping build teens and kids into entrepreneurs so that they can feel like they have their own business and independence and ways to live without working for somebody else if they don't need to or want to. Lishane has not one, not two, not three, but four college degrees. And one of them is a law degree. I am so thrilled to have you here today. Lishane, thank you for joining CamCast. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited and privileged to be on your podcast. I'm I'm excited. I'm sitting here like smiling. (laughs) So I'm very excited. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. So Lishane is sitting there smiling virtually while, and where are you now? Are you still in New York? I am. I'm still in New York. Still in the city or did you move outside the city? No, I'm in New York City. New York City. And I can't wait to get back there this summer because my daughter will be in camp in New York, my old camp. So I'll be back there. So maybe we can touch base in person. That would be cool. Yes. And you can see what I look like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She's not an AI, everybody. She is a human being. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm actually staring at your website right now, which is for Bruja Luxury. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, that's how you pronounce it. BrujaLuxury.com. And 
I want to just, she's smiling. I'm just like dazing into this picture of a woman in a spa bath with rose petals and flowers. And it says luxury or nothing. And I'm like, uh, I want luxury. I don't want nothing. And there's a, what, there's a glass of wine back there. I want that too. And so, um, I want to hear about, we're going to talk about your history, but we definitely have to touch upon the fact that I want to live and breathe taste. You have used every sense on your website. It is colorful. <laughs> it is beautiful. Thank you. It talks about Thank dry skin, sensitive skin, oil skin, kids, everybody, everything. You really know how to encompass everything in one business, but we're going to get to that later. And then I'm going to take a bath in your beautiful products at some time. We're going to have to talk about that too. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing and what it was like being a kid and share just whatever you're comfortable sharing with us. Okay. Let's see. My mother who is deceased now, she has been deceased since I was 16, but I didn't find out about that. So um, I was 19, but she died pretty early because she was a drug addict. So she had four kids. All of us have different fathers and she lost her kids pretty early. Now, originally before entering foster care, I was living with my maternal grandmother. She had a heart attack in front of me. So that catapulted me into the foster care system. So that was my first experience with trauma because she dropped dead in front of me. So imagine being a little kid and the person that you love the most, because I was a grand grandma's girl, has a heart attack. Of course, at that age, I didn't know it was a heart attack, but you know, those, it's one of those things that you learn as you get older. So there were no other family members. Either my mother didn't tell them or the state didn't feel that they were adequate enough. So I ended up going into foster care. Now, my dad, he, another one, has five kids. All of his kids have different mothers. And he was not in the headspace either to turn around and take care of any kids. But when I got older, because I didn't meet him till I was in my 30s, I was told by him that apparently his mother wanted to take custody of me when foster care system took me, but my mother wouldn't tell her where I was. And by the time they found out where I was with foster care agency I was at, I had already been placed in a foster home and New York City was not going through the trauma of like removing me from the foster home. And then my grandmother, my dad's side, who apparently wanted me, she lived all the way in Chicago. So New York was not transferring me from New York to Chicago. That was not money they were willing to lose. So that took care of that. But aside from that, my dad was an alcoholic. So he was just not in a place to be taking care of any children at all. And so I ended up in foster care. Uh, it was a terrible experience. There's nothing good that I can really say about it. It was very stressful. I can probably name probably like two things, maybe three, if I really think about it, that were good about it. But overall, I had a very harrowing experience in foster care. I had abusive foster parents, very abusive foster parents. I was adopted at one point, the adopted mother was abusive. And so I ended up leaving her house and going back into foster care. Uh, foster care had me homeless at one point, because at one point, I was in a foster home, and the family friend attempted to sexually assault me. And so I left, ran away from there. 
and they had no place for me. All of New York State, all of New York State, they can find any place for me. Luckily, I was working for a publishing company at the time because they had a program for teenagers in foster care. And so this Youth Communications is the name of it. They're still around. They've been around forever and a day. They had a program for youth who like to write. And in somehow they came across my circumference and I got accepted into their program and they paid us. So even though I was a teenager, they paid us to write stories for their magazine. And so I went the day, the night I left that foster home, when the family friend tried to sexually assault me, I ended up sleeping outside a New York City bench. I went to school the next day. I went to the the work program afterwards, and I ended up telling my boss, who again, this is a foster care publishing company, and to say that he was livid, that is an understatement of the year. And so he made some phone calls and got me into an independent living apartment program. Apparently, the social worker at the agency I was at was correct. There was not a place they could put me in the city. So there were no foster homes because I was a teenager. There were no group home spaces. They were all packed. And the law back then is that they couldn't put me in a shelter. So he found a place for me. I was nowhere near old enough to go into an independent living apartment program. But because I was in school and I was doing really well in school and because I worked for his company in that program, I was allowed to be in there. And that really catapulted my way into like real independence. And I stayed past my 21st birthday because in New York City is the New York state is the only state that has foster care till you're 21 and New York City, their foster care system, you're there till 21. Now, New York City thought that they were slick. They wanted to just when I hit 21, just kick me out. But I had been advocating for myself for a very long time. And so I knew what the law was. And I think it's that advocated for myself that got me interested in the law. And so I refused to allow them to discharge me into homelessness. And I threatened to sue them. (laughs) And so uh, with my, because he was no longer my boss any longer at the publishing company, but he was like, if he needed to give me an attorney, then he would. Because the way the laws work, when they discharge you, they were supposed to help you pay first month's rent, a security, and actually four months rent. So you were supposed to be good for about five months plus the security deposit. And it was supposed to help you find. I was what, 21, hadn't had a place yet, like of my own without roommates, because I wanted a place without roommates because I had been having roommates forever in a day. I was there 21, my birthday's in September. I didn't leave to the end of October the foster care system, because I absolutely refuse to have them discharge me into homelessness and me not get what I needed. Were they happy? Of course not. The social worker from the independent living apartment program that I was in, she was not happy. She was like, you have, you're just like a headache. I'm like, I don't care. Y'all have the money, give it up. Because most people don't fight. When they leave foster care, you turn 21, they give you papers, they tell you on your way. And most people don't fight that. I was not that type of person. I was in college. It was my senior year of college. I don't have time to be stressing about being homeless and trying to go to college and all that. I don't have time. Y'all have already left me homeless once. You're not going to do that again. I ended up from 
but how old was I when I entered foster care? Uh, about five, close to five. And I left that a month past my 21st birthday. Yeah, no, it wasn't a great experience at all. It was a fight, a lot of fighting, a lot of struggling, a lot of advocating, even basic stuff like clothing. You're supposed to get a clothing allowance every month, fighting for that. Yeah, no, I don't have anything good to say, except I'm stronger, I guess, because of it. I'm pretty resilient. Yeah, that's about it. And I did have, if it wasn't for youth communications at that time, and I can't even say that because I, I made the decision to turn around and say something. If it wasn't for the resources of that program and it's somehow falling in my lap because I can't even tell you how I came across it. Yeah, I don't know. I think it would have been a very different story. I'm grateful for them. Well, it sounds like your resilience and strength kept you going and alive. I can imagine that a lot of kids or adults even would not be able to live through all the things that you live through. I'm so sorry that I'm saying this to the to the kid, to to the child and the kid, Leshawnae. I'm really sorry that you had to go through that because that is unacceptable. And unfortunately, there are a lot of kids today that are still going through similar situations. In fact, we have some other people on the podcast that we have interviewing and they're kind of dealing with the similar situation and they've bounced around quite a bit. And when we won't get into their story, uh, we'll have to listen in for that. But I'm really proud of you for advocating for yourself. That is such a hard thing to do. And then you kept on going and fighting so it's no wonder you became a lawyer. How did you afford the education for that? The beauty of, of being a foster care kid, and I want everyone who's going to listen to this later, is if you're in foster care, there are so many resources and scholarships for foster care. The feds give money. So I got Pell Grants. I got a TAP grant. Because I was associated with youth communications, they had a lot of resources. I got an Orphan Foundation of America scholarship. Um, so they also helped me get quite a few scholarships. There are quite a few organizations that give out scholarships if you are a foster care kid. When it comes to education, I unfortunately, that is one of the best things about being in foster care is that they give you money. I didn't pay for undergrad at all because I got this scholarship after that scholarship. And then between TAP, Pell, scholarships, school financial aid, because when you're filling out those applications, they ask you, are you a foster care kid? And you check yes. And that ends the application. You're done. <laughs> it's like, wow. okay, we got to get kid money. And as opposed to if you have parents, right? Because I have a teenager. So I have a junior. She's a junior in high school, not college. And so we are filling out college applications. And so part of that for college applications and the financial aid, because her high school gives all these workshops. So we're looking at the financial aid application and they're asking for tax returns for the last two years and incomes and pay subs and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, oh, I didn't have to get all that stuff when I was um, in foster care because when they got, there's the question on there that asks you, are you a foster care child? Um, and if you click yes, that is like literally the end of the application because you don't need to prove any income. You don't have to do any of that. They're, you're foster care and there's that. And foster care kids get more money than non-foster care kids. They throw out a lot of money. The feds throw out a lot of money to kids in foster care. So, and they're, like I said, there are scholarships like the Orphan Foundation of America. They gave me a nice scholarship package. 
and there were a few other organizations that gave me scholarship packages. Youth Communication had an award. They gave me that. So then again, the school that I went to, they gave me financial aid and their own award packages because that is the one silver lining of being in foster care is that the education gives you a lot of money. I didn't have any debt until I got to grad school and law school. How many foster care children in general? I mean, we'll know about it, but, and I'd love for you to be able to, if you can, for show notes, I'd love to link in as many of the ones you can remember because, and the community as well, the Youth Communication and the Orphan Foundation America, we're definitely going to put that in the show notes because we do have um, people that would probably love to take advantage of that. I can think of five right now. And then that way people can just kind of click on it from there and go from there. Now, how many kids in foster care do you think take advantage of that education? And do they even know about it? That's a good question. I don't know. Statistically, the success rate of kids going in from foster care to college is really low. It is really low. A lot of the folks that I was in group homes with, because I was also in group homes, they didn't go to college. They didn't even graduate high school. Or if they did graduate high school, they barely graduated high school. And so the statistics are really low. The women or the girls, rather, there were a lot of teenage pregnancies, a lot of that, a lot of homelessness, because like I said, they discharge you into homelessness if you allow them to, because they, the money is there, right? For you to discharge into an apartment program. But the problem is the agencies are not going to advocate for that. And so it's the same thing with education. If they're not advocating for you to go to college, you're not going to necessarily get there unless you want to go on your own. And so you're not going to be filling out applications or inquiring into scholarships and any of the other stuff. And if you're not connected with organizations such as youth communications, then of course, that's another thing that you may not know about as well. Another organization that you should put it, probably put in the show notes, it's called Foster Care to Success. So their website is fc2success.org. They uh, give scholarships for kids in foster care across the country. Okay, that's great to know. We've got it. Thank you for sharing all of that. So you have more degrees. So you have four totals. So that was one was law. What were your other three degrees? I have a bachelor's in communications and I have a double master's. I have a master's in public policy and I have a master's in public administration with a concentration in human resources and strategy. Because I wanted to be a Supreme Court judge at one time, but I also liked human resources. And I studied communications in college, but it wasn't until my junior year that I realized that I didn't want to be in communications because they didn't make enough money for me. (laughs) So I didn't (laughs) want to do that. And I had a journalist professor who was like, if you want to get into this field at all, you're going to have to go without working or take low pay. And I'm just like, none of that is going to work. I'm a foster care kid. I can't, I can't afford to do that. It's, it's not going to work. But I was in my junior year, so I was not about to change majors. And so I just went ahead and finished the degree in communications. And that took care of that. You're amazing. <laughs> I'm sure everybody listening right now is like, wow, they really should make a movie um, <laughs> after Lushane. And I know a lot of writers and directors, so you might have a movie deal after this one. Maybe. Um, People told me I made some practical for my life. <laughs> do you do, for sure. 
So you have all these degrees, which really do help one another in in what you're doing. And then you not only went to law school, you became a lawyer, mm-hmm. correct? I did. Yep. I did. So who did you focus on? Practice. What was your specialty? Um, business. Because I worked at the assembly, right? So prior to my daughter, and let me tell you what started my first business. Bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, I'm young, I'm out of college. I like, I want to be a Supreme Court judge. I've made that decision. Communications is not for me, yada, yada, yada. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go turn around. I'm going to get a master's degree. And the program, for whatever reason, I decided to do dual master's. Don't ask me what I was thinking. You're ambitious. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's what you're thinking. (laughs) So decided to do that. Uh, but it was online and I went to work at the New York State Assembly. Now they had a whole fellowship program. So I applied for that and got accepted. Now, when I went to, as a fellow for the New York State Assembly, they hadn't hired a minority fellow in about five years when I got there. And so my interview was very, it wasn't traditional, right? I'm going to say borderline on illegal, honestly, because he was asking me all sorts of questions. There was a panel of six. One of the attorneys was asking me all sorts of illegal questions. And when I walked into the room, they were not expecting a minority. They were expecting a non-minority. And so the look of shock on the faces of like two of the attorneys of the panel and I, you know, an idea of what I was dealing with. You're like, I'm sorry, what were you, not what you were expecting. So sorry. Right. And so my interview was supposed to be 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. It was an hour and a half. They grilled me every, every which way the street uh, on what I had written about uh, because you had to write a paper. And so I wrote, the question was, did I agree with the Rockefeller drug laws pro or against? I had to write whatever my feelings were back then. And so it was that good that they came and interviewed me. And like I said, it was an hour and a half. They ended up hiring me as a fellow. And then I went from a fellow to a committee assistant. And then it was that committee assistant that I went from committee assistant to chief of staff in no time flat. And that's because the guy that hired me was a minority. I was his last hire. He was retiring. He retired. They gave a... Caucasian woman, his job, and she ended up having a reputation for being very racist. So she was not a fan of mine because of my skin tone, but she knew that I did really good work um, because part of the thing with the assembly is that they don't hire all of their fellows. So if you get hired on as a permanent after the fellowship, you do really good work and you know your stuff. They hired me on, he hired me on, and she had me train three people And they all got promoted before I did. And so after the third person, I'm never going to forget her ever in my life. I won't say her name here on the podcast, but I'm never going to forget her. She pulls me me into her office and she says, Lee Shanae, you do really great work. But if you expect to succeed here, you're going to have to change your personality. And so exactly. AKA, she wanted me to kiss her behind. And I'm from New York City. I don't know how to do that. This is up in Albany, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how to do that. I did not grow up. I grew up in foster care. I did not grow up kissing anybody's behind. If anything, it was a complete opposite because I fought like hell to get everything that the state, the city and federal said that I deserve to get. So that is not going to work. So I went back to my desk and she knew I was pissed off. I went back to my desk 
And I said a prayer. I was like, okay, apparently this is not government here. It's not where I need to be because I, I don't have the personality for this. This is not going to work. No part of this is going to work. So I need to figure out what it is that I want to do. And so publishing popped into my head. I looked to see if there were any publishing companies in Albany. There were none that I could find at the time. But I was still mad. And so I went to go cool off, go for a walk, which she allowed me to do. And so in the process of that, I ran into a friend um, and I told the friend what was going on. And the friend said to me, well, there's an assembly member. We're looking for a chief of staff. So why don't you go speak to her? She's a minority, you know, go see, go speak. So I went to speak to the assembly member and she liked me so much. She hired me on the spot. This was on a Friday. I didn't say anything to my, for, my you know, now form going to be former boss. I was just excited. I went back to my desk. The day flew. Monday morning comes. I run into the form, now former boss in the hallway. She says, I didn't see you upstairs. I said, oh, you didn't hear? I am now the chief of staff of X, Y, and Z, ABC. <laughs> Boom. Face, she was pissed. Because she was a racist woman, she did not, she had not established a relationship with this assembly member. So she couldn't say anything, complain to the lady. She couldn't say anything bad about me. She couldn't do anything. But every time she saw me in the, in the hallway, she would do like they did in middle school where they oh, they looked you up and down and rolled their eyes. So that's what she, she would do. So I stayed there about three years, got my the double master, stayed there about three years, grew. My business started part time. When I left, I finally left the assembly because it is not the place to be if you have a little, a small child. And so I had a small child at the time. And she I went through six babysitters the last year that I was there. And the final straw for me was that my daughter started calling the babysitter mommy. That was a pure signal it was time to go. And so I took my business and didn't do it full-time initially because what I ended up doing, I left the assembly to go work at the Boys and Girls Club as a director out in Albany. It wasn't meant for me to do that either because like two months in, they lost all of their funding, laid off everybody with a salary. And so after that, I just took my business full-time and I've been an entrepreneur ever since. <laughs> and so what had me go into law is because I like business, right? And I also am passionate about the law. My whole thing was studying business is what I focused on. And I remember being in high school and that's probably what interested me. In high school, I took a business law class. I got an A in it. I loved business law. I loved contracts. I loved the constitution. I loved all of that surrounding business. It was just very interesting for me. And so that's what I studied in law school. Um, and I did work for some pretty major firms in New York City because I did move back. I moved from Albany, I eventually ended up moving to California, Nevada, back to the city. And so I did work for some really big litigation firms in New York City. Again, when you're a single parent or even a parent, period, whether you're a, you know married or not, when you have little kids, it is, those long hours are not easy. And that's just not doable. So I got what I got, could get out of the working for the firms. And again, having my, there's nothing like your own. <laughs> so, you know, I just, I've had my own for a while, different businesses, you know, here and there, but everything that I've wanted to do work-wise that I've been passionate about doing, I've done. Now I'm at a new set of passions. And so I'm doing those, not been easy, but yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. Amazing. <laughs> 
So are you still in touch with uh, your daughter's father or is that too, too personal? No, he lives in New York City. He's a corrections officer. So he's in law enforcement. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) I'm surrounded. Right. So he's in law enforcement. My daughter wants to be a Supreme Court judge. Yeah, there it is. Love it. Exactly. So she is studying law in high school. And she has been doing that since she fell in love with law in seventh grade. She had a social studies teacher who was teaching them about mock trials. And she did her first mock trial. And she's been in love ever since. She has been enrolled in NYU's high school law program. This summer, she's going to Brown University's summer program. Last summer online, she did Georgetown, which has a partnership with the New York Times. They have a summer program for high school students who want to get into law, Georgetown Law School. And so she did that last year. So she's been doing stuff. She had an internship with an assembly member here in New York City as well. She was their youngest intern ever. And so she's, you know, she's following that law, law enforcement. (laughs) It's just in the blood, I guess. It's in the blood. (laughs) So... Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. You guys are fighters. I think I need to interview her too. <laughs> yeah. she's. I would love that. Yeah. So we'll see. But yeah, she won't. And you can't tell her that she's not going to be Supreme Court judge. It, there's, no, she will be. Yeah, I, she will. I believe it. I mean, you went through what you had to go through so that you could have your daughter and you both could be such success. I am so proud of all of you. Thank and you. I haven't even met you in person. I just, thank you. You obviously didn't hear it from your parents no. and I don't know how old you are, but I'm going to tell you that I am incredibly proud of you. Thank you. And for all that you have overcome and what you've done and how you've stepped it up, you fought for yourself. You fought for your daughter, your daughter's continuing this legacy. You're a legacy. Uh, it's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, that's what I and, and I thought about and trying to do. Um, I think part of what probably catapulted I, my one of my first foster mothers. I was about five years old, and I will never forget it. She, when I tell you the Wicked Witch of the East, like you know you that old saying, you look in a dictionary and you see like the postage child. Yeah, that's her. And so I remember being five and. I wanted to get, go on a visit to my mother at the foster care agency and she would not allow me to go on a visit. And she was just, she was mean. She wanted me to call her mommy. She wanted me to forget about my own mother. That was not a thing that was going to happen. And so she was just wicked and evil. And so one day she looked at me and she was like, you know what? You're going to grow up to be nothing. Just like your mother, your crackhead mother and your alcoholic father. And Something about that pissed me off. (laughs) At five, I could remember being enraged. And I was like, oh, really? Okay. Never met those like really stubborn little kids. That was me. I was like, oh, no, I'm not. I'm not going to be like my mother. And I don't even know my father, but I'm not going to be like him either. Of course, she knew more about, you know, my biological parents than I did because she had the records. I was like, no, I'm not. And I'm going to show you. And so... For the longest time, I think that's part of what drove me, just because it was like, I could show you better than I can tell you. I graduated high school pretty early. I left her house. She was pretty shocked. She's 80 now. She's in a nursing home out in New York. One of my siblings still keeps in touch with her. I want nothing to do with her. She's never seen my daughter, doesn't know what she looked like. My daughter could walk down the street. She would never recognize her. But at five, I think that was a turning point for me when she looked me dead in my face and told me that I was going to be nothing and it pissed me off. (laughs) And so I was like, oh yeah, no, absolutely not. I don't smoke. I don't like needles. 
And so there's none of that smoking and doing drugs like my mother did. Drinking makes me very sleepy automatically. Like I can't even have a, a glass of wine because it makes me automatically sleepy. So I don't drink, which is unusual. Usually they say, right? Because if you're the child of an alcoholic, you usually have that gene. But apparently, according to my doctors, that gene there is a way that the gene can like turn itself off. And I don't know, maybe that's what it did (laughs) when I was that angry and determined at five, because I don't have the gene that my dad, who I met in my thirties, he was a full-blown alcoholic. Now he had kidney failure. He's on dialysis. He got all sorts of drama because he ruined his kidneys and he started drinking at nine years old. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He lived the street life. Yes. He started drinking at nine. That was just not a thing. I, I can't, Aside from the fact that I can't drink because I, it makes me sleepy. I don't know, maybe that's the DNA part of it. Who knows? But the point is that I am not like either one of my parents. And interestingly enough, I ended up being much more successful than Miss Foster Mother's biological children. She had biological boys. Both of them ended up in the military. One Marines, one Army, both alcoholics because my foster father was an alcoholic. And so both his sons were alcoholics. One got dishonorable discharge out of the army. The other one who was in a Marines, he was fine. But as far as his military record goes, they both were abusive. And the one who was in the army has a domestic violence record. The one in the Marines also has abusive problems, but his ex-wife never turned around and pressed charges against him. So because of the alcoholism and their domestic violence and all this other crap that they had, a whole bunch of issues, they are nowhere near as successful as they would be and probably should be. But here I am, the one with the crackhead mother and the alcoholic father, to be a nothing and no one, business and multiple degrees. And so there's that. Well, you certainly showed them and defied all the odds that were against you. I mean, I'm sure people say that all the time about orphans and that, you know, all the odds are against them and they're not going to amount to anything. And I love that you proved that wrong, but you did it with a lot more strength than most people come up and create on their own. So it's amazing that you were able to do that and raise your daughter to be an incredible human being who cares about other people and wants to fight for what she believes is right. So that's amazing as well. I want to talk a little bit about your business. Before we do that, I want to make sure that that the foster kids and foster parents, because we also, I know foster parents as well, listen to this podcast. What kind of advice would you give them? And is there something that you would recommend to them as far as becoming entrepreneurs? And would you recommend that they finish high school and college or... I know you've probably seen it all and you've probably seen people succeed without going to college. So tell me what kind of advice for the teens and for the parents that are listening to this on the foster end of it. Okay. So for the teens, I would definitely recommend that they graduate high school and college as well, right? Because it means that you can complete something, right? So when you graduate high school, you can complete that almost like because of society and you complete it because it's an expectation. You complete it because it's the thing to do, right? So you should complete high school. College, there's so many things, life skill lessons that you learn in college that will better prepare you in the business world that I'm never going to tell someone not to go to college. Learning how to get along with people, because when you're in college, 
most of the time, like, especially if you're in a dorm, right? Freshman, sophomore, they require you to be in a dorm. And I would always recommend somebody go away. That is the other thing. If you can go away, go away and get that experience. You learn to get along with your peers in a way that you don't in a foster home. They're going away to college and just interacting on a college campus, even if you're in New York City. And interacting with your peers is a very different experience than interacting with your foster parents and your foster mother. There is a sense of independence that you have in college. There is a certain level of freedom. Yeah, exactly. Freedom. And there is a certain level of respect that uh, of being treated differently, a respect level that the professors have because they see you as adults. Right. That is an experience in and of itself that I would recommend foster care kids experience, because in a foster home, you're considered just a foster kid. Yeah, You're just a foster kid. Right. And so there's a lack of respect there when you're just a foster care kid. But that on the, in college, regardless of your background, your childhood, there's an even playing field. You're not just a foster care kid. You are a college student having an experience. Your professors are interested in your thoughts. You get to argue, you get to write for or against, you know, with your papers. They want to hear, they're interested in what you have to say. And so there's a level of respect that you get being in college that you just don't experience in foster care home, in a group home, a foster home, or whatever it is that I would recommend everyone go through, you know, just experience what it feels like to be respected. And if you're not a foster care kid, that you're like, that's something that you think about, right? You don't think about that. You're just like, eh, my parents, I go to college, it's expected, it's whatever, you know, okay. I'm having a whole experience. Yeah. And I'm almost hoping that people who are listening, especially the older teens and people in their 20s, is that they might have a new kind of respect for their peers that they do meet who are foster, who were foster kids or still are. So hopefully this will open the eyes. I mean, I know it sounds silly, but one of my favorite movies that both my kids loved so much that we watched it over and over again is Hotel for Dogs. And here it's two orphan siblings based in New York City. And they were, you know, pushed around from foster care to foster care. And they were too smart for their own good, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. (laughs) And After that movie, which, by the way, has me cry, I've seen it probably 20 or so times, and I cry every single time. And I'm not even a dog person, by the way. I've never had a dog in my life. It's just just the impact that the kids had on the dogs, that they wanted to give them homes because they never had a home. And I've always wanted to adopt siblings that were older. And who knows? Maybe one day I will. I just, I always have a feeling, this connection to teenagers, and it's so heartbreaking because, you know... With society today and people saying, well, everybody wants a giveaway and this, that, and the other. Well, the the kids, they didn't choose to be born and they didn't choose to be orphaned and they didn't choose yeah. to be bounced around into abusive homes as foster care. And there are a lot of foster parents I know who are wonderful people and they're not like that. But unfortunately, the stories hold true that there are many who are. It's just so unfortunate. I just want to hug everybody. (laughs) All right. So let's jump into your luxury skincare line. And how can I get some samples? Because we would love to promote your skincare. Awesome. awesome. And then also your wellness firm. So you've obviously kind of, they go hand in hand. So it makes sense why, why you're doing both, of course. 
Yes, exactly. Let's see, where I begin with the business? It's fairly, the luxury skincare line is fairly new. I started it during the pandemic. Why did I start it? I, I don't know. I just felt, because my skin was drying, right? And my daughter has sensitive skin and the products on the market were just, they were no longer working for my skin. And so I just got annoyed <laughs> and decided to create my own, a lot of trial and error. And so I created my own from the body butters to the soaps. Now I'm in the process of making a liquid soap. And I use quite a few friends as guinea pigs, so to speak, because everyone has different skin types and they were a hit with everyone. What makes my skincare line very different, my beauty brand very different, is that I don't use anything with shea butter in it. I don't use anything with cocoa butter in it. And I don't use anything with coconut oil in it. Now, people have argued with me on on Clubhouse. They've been very defensive about it. But I am a, listen, I'm an attorney by trade, right? And so I'm about the facts. And so for me, it's about the scientific facts. And I'm not going to argue with people about what's scientifically factual. (laughs) And yes, shea butter is popular. Yes, cocoa butter is popular. Yes, coconut oil is popular. Listen, marketing is a beautiful thing. But as popular as they are, they're terrible for the skin. And uh, upon finding that out and doing going down that rabbit hole of research, it took a while, but I was able to find products that work that do not contain shea butter, cocoa butter, or coconut oil in it. And I'm like really flabbergasted that a lot of companies do not do their research and they just accept and create products because they're just what's popular. I don't care about what's popular. I care about what works. And when I care about what's better than working. And so I have good friends who have a severe allergic reaction to anything with coconut oil in it. And it doesn't matter if it's fractionated coconut oil or non-fractionated coconut oil. Coconut oil is, is created on a lab in the lab. And so she can't use anything with coconut oil in it. It sends her to the hospital. I didn't want to have any products that send my friends to the hospital. And then my daughter has sensitive skin. And then I had dry skin. Shea butter is not great. And especially if you have acne prone skin, it's terrible for kids skin. It's terrible for teenage skin because your skin is going through those kids and teenagers, their skin is going through changes. And so they have acne prone skin as early as it's five. And so using products with shea butter, when you have acne prone skin, it's terrible for your skin. And then cocoa butter is just horrible for your skin. And despite the fact that I have like on my Instagram posted the scientific facts, people still really get mad at me because I posted the truth. Our products or you know, my company's products don't contain any of those. And instead, there are better butters. It's luxury skincare line because I use very high-end butters. Technically, when I'm making a body butter, technically there are nine different types of body butters that you can use, like butters for the skin that you can use. There are nine. For whatever reason, shea butter and cocoa butter seems to be very popular, and but they're the least moisturizing. Turned around and again with seven other butters and use the trial and error the most moisturizing ones. And that's where we're at. I high-end butters. Everything is high-end. Even my liquid soap, it the ingredients that I'm using to make those, it took a long time for me to find a distributor that does not have coconut oil in the ingredients of the soap. 
when the base that I use is goat's milk for the base of my bar soaps, it took me a while to find manufacturer who makes the base without coconut oil in it or shea butter. So I've done the research, been down the rabbit hole, hired a skin chemist, uh, used my friends as trial and error to turn around and actually do the science and the math and all that <laughs> the chemistry to find products that work, that moisturize the skin, that are good for teen skin, good for kids skin, good for adult skin, that it's not going to make your skin toxic and germphobes. So so one of the thing about body butter that I, I'm gifted body butter by friends who make it and such. And even if I buy it at a store, if someone gives it to me from a store, they're so oily. So if I put it on and then go to bed, I feel like that oily texture is going to go all over the sheets. Does yours, is that, na- is that normal for body butters? Do they all do that? Mine does not. <laughs> so, um, because it depends upon the oil that they use. Everyone uses coconut oil, right? And so that's what happens when you use coconut oil. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Because coconut oil sits on your skin. And so that's why your skin feels oily. It's technically not moisturizing anything. It just sits there. After a while, stuff that sits there creates a bacteria. It starts to irritate people's skin. People, when your skin gets dry, gets all itchy again and irritated, that's because coconut oil is just irritating. So I don't use coconut oil. I can't stand it. <laughs> again, not a thing. I use high-end oils as well. Just like with body butters, there are so many other oils that you can use. Got it. That are better for the skin, that actually moisturize the skin, that sit in the skin that are not going to be oily. I don't like that either. Listen, I'm very much into luxury. I feel like I had a very hard life. You know, when I made it as an adult, I decided to learn to live. But part of me living is luxury. I, you're not going to melt my silk sheets. And I, and I sleep on white sheets, uh, light color sheets. We're, we're not doing that. I'm not going to dry cleaners with sheets every week. It's not a thing. <laughs> she dry cleans her sheets, guys. Talk about luxury. Because I lived in New York City and I had to dry clean everything because I couldn't. Exactly. I didn't have any time. I was working all the time as a vent planner. So there's no time to do your laundry. So you just send it to someone else. Let's take a commercial break and we'll be right back. Want to be a guest on CamCast or have your young entrepreneurs featured on CamCast Kids? Apply now at thecamproject.org. Hit the follow button for the CamCast Kids podcast and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. We're back here with the CamCast. So from foster care to dry cleaning sheets to vagina steam, can we talk about that for a second here? Because, okay, so is Luna Moon... Uh, is that your company or do you just love this one product and you carry it? That is the name of the, it's part of my company, but it's the name of the brand for the Yoni Stains. I have been. Okay. So well, we're going to, I'm going to have to stop you here and I'm interrupting for a reason because, mm-hmm. because people are going to be listening. They're in their car, wherever, and going to be like, what did she just say? Did she just say what I think she said? <laughs> Was that, did I mishear her? Okay. I'm going to say it again. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on a podcast. <laughs> But this is not the kids version podcast. Uh, This content is not for kids. That's what the CamCast Kids is for. So we have a product here on Lishnae's website, and it's called Luna Moon Vagina Steam or V-Steam. And she has a bag of it, and it looks like potpourri type herbs, and then a a little sink, a womb seat, like a toilet seat or a sink. I think it's a sink. Uh, So tell us a little bit about that. (laughs) 
So, <laughs> okay. So that's the first time I've heard somebody say potpourri like herbs. That's so cute. There are, okay. I have your yoni. Wait, how do you say potpourri? What do you say? They're just herbs to me. <laughs> so they're just oh. herbs. They do have rose <laughs> petals in them and calendula flowers in them and chamomile flowers in them. So, you know, I, to me, they're just herbs, right? So my formula has, there are 21 herbs in them. Yoni steaming, vagina steaming is what it's called. If you have one Paltrow, she's made it really famous, even though it's a very old and ancient way of clearing out your womb. What makes it, it's really old and ancient. In places like Africa and Asia, you know, parts of Europe, they, where they're remote and they don't have access to the medical care that we have, like especially in Africa, what they do is every time a woman has after she's had her period, she sits over a pot of herbs. The steam goes into her, carries up into her womb, and it clears out all of the gook. So, for example, you have cramps every month. Part of the reason medically why you have cramps is because you have old blood stuck to your womb. And so after a while, that blood begins to build up. And so it begins to build up and it sits on top of each other. And so when you go to bleed every month, instead of the blood flowing, it can't flow the way it should because it's interrupted by old blood that has caused like a, a rock formation. And so what Yoni steaming does is it clears all of that out. After about three months of that, you end up not having cramps or your cramps lessen really severely. And if you have severe cramps, but if you consistently yoni steam every month for the, within six months, then those things begin to stop. Then for women who have endometriosis and fibroids and all this and HPV, the herbs in there are for, is to help clear all of those illnesses out. And the results of those illnesses are because the blood is not flowing the way that it should. So as blood clots and and sits on your womb, it begins to transform into all sorts of diseases and issues. And so the purpose of the herbs is to loosen that stuff up and thin out the clots and prevent them from forming. And if they form to eventually have them erase and stop. And in countries like Africa and continents like Africa, they don't have the womb issues that we have here because the yoni steam or vagina steam every month, it is a regular part of the ritual. But we don't have that here because we have modern medicine. And so we have a huge problem with infertility and fibroids and endometriosis and severe cramps that people in Africa and Asia and Europe who use these really old school methods don't have. I am, in addition to all my degrees, right? I am a certified herbalist. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have studied all of the herbs. And so my lovely concoction is 21 herbs in the bag. So it comes a small or large. Now the way Yoni Steamy works is there is a, it's almost like it's a portable, like a portable toilet seat, right? But it's made specifically for your herbs. So you will put the pink or the purple or the white, whatever color it is, you would put it on top of your toilet. And so it covers up your toilet. You boil the herbs in a, in a pot, you strain them through your strain in a glass, hot steaming glass container. And you would stick that glass container inside of that, the seat itself. 
and then you would just sit like you went there immediately you would let it cool for 10 minutes right because you don't want to be burning your, your whole third degree burns and thighs so after about 10 15 minutes of letting it cool off a little bit then you would just sit like you would on a toilet and cover it with a white towel and just let the herbs you know do its thing for about 15 20 minutes is about 15 20 minutes and it begins to heal and usually what i recommend if somebody's starting off yoni steaming or vagina steaming or whatever name you want to give it they do it for about three days and it's also good believe it or not if you have any ex-boyfriends or ex-girlfriend it's the, that sexual energy attachment it helps to release that okay so now that the cam cast has taken a totally different direction <laughs> <laughs> i think we lost all male <laughs> listeners listen they'll be glad because women said it makes their vaginas tighter and so the men apparently they, love that too so, so they're in <laughs> exactly so what we lost i think we lost the male listeners because they just went to your website to order it for their <laughs> girlfriends and spouses and and um and see if it helps them i mean this is a riot that's the funny thing is that every time i do an interview for the cam- for camcast it goes into totally different <laughs> direction <That is> hilarious <laughs> I love it so much. And I actually have cysts in my ovaries and I, I, I I can, this might even help that because it will cause all kinds of props. Oh my goodness. So I highly recommend it. Uh, I had a uh, customer because I've been, I've been doing, selling my Yoni scenes now for a very long time. Uh, What are we in 2021? I, I say about five years now. And so I had a customer who had HPV. She went to her gynecologist. She turned around and they found some HPV on her. They wanted to do more biopsy and scraping. She was like, no, that scares the hell out of me. And so she ordered one of the Yoni steams and she went back for her checkup. Because when you get those type of results, you got to go back every six months. And so she went back six months later and they did another one and it was gone. So um those herbs work they're old-fashioned okay so what i was saying right at the beginning was my daughter she doesn't have them either because even though she doesn't like it i force her to yoni steam okay well when i'm in new york this summer we have plans indeed we have to link up yes Okay, well, we are out of time. This was amazing. This definitely did go in so many different directions, which is the best part about it. So I actually have the best, first of all, I have a Chinese restaurant by me that I love, 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 love. And they also have the best fortune cookies. And I have so many of them. I save them on my board. So as you were talking, this one kind of reminded me of you. So I pulled it. We don't receive wisdom. We must discover it for ourselves after a journey that no one can take for us or spare us. And you definitely have probably more wisdom than you ever imagined you would have. Everything from law, raising your daughter, a successful female who's going to go far in life, having all the businesses that you've had, your knowledge with the herbs and all the things that you can do to help other women. And I'm just blown away by you. You're so impactful. You're such a great inspiration and influence for others, which is why you're perfect for Camcast. And I hope if we have anybody that resonates with you, any teens that we can, or younger kids, but we, we really, I think you're more for the teens that you would be willing to maybe mentor one oh, of them or, or a few. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I had assumed you were, I don't normally put anyone on the spot during a podcast, but you are just amazing. And I can't wait to uh, spend time with you. Thank you. And do tea time. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. In a bathtub. 
Um, okay. So, um, I want to thank you for being a guest on Camcast, and I thank you for having, I really appreciate it. You're welcome. I can't wait to meet your daughter. Uh, this is, uh, Lishane is how you pronounce it. Yes. Um, Genovese, Genovese, uh, it's her last name. And I want to thank you again for being on Camcast and thank you everybody for listening and please, uh, stay on to hear, a little bit more about how you can become a guest on CamCast. The Cam Project is Kid Action Makers. We inspire, influence, and impact kids and teens around the world to become entrepreneurs. We're all in this together. We have to heal our world and we have to help these kids everywhere, not just because of COVID, but despite COVID, even more so now than ever. Thank you for joining and listening to CamCast. I'm Samara Hurley. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. We would love to consider your kid or teen as a potential guest on CamCast Kids, hosted by the Cam Project co-founder, kidpreneur Ava Hurley, and friends. Also accepting applications for parents, educators, specialists, and entrepreneurs on the CamCast. Visit thecamproject.org to apply. Remember to follow our podcasts and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube.